It's the beginning of the podcast. Which we're calling oh. No Librarians Allowed. Oh, do we want to talk about that? Not no? right now. Okay, we'll talk about it later. Another <laughs> time. Welcome to No Librarians Allowed. That's right. So my name is Lydia. My name is Carla. And we're doing this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, should, we are librarians. That's right. Yeah. That is one caveat. So we're allowed, but no one else is allowed. That's right. <laughs> and really, we wanted to focus on technology or technology in libraries and topics. So specifically for, yeah, tools, methods, and just cool tech, uh, rather than other types of librarianship. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we talked before, cool, a long time ago maybe like over a year ago, about starting up a libraries and tech journal. That's right. Uh, Lydia, in her wise academic bent and her ambition, thought that we should start up a journal. Or she should, and then I kind of weaseled my way into that. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> but, but I think the reason that emerged is, I'll be honest, it started out of my rejection, or being rejected from the... Code for Lib Journal, and, and recognizing that there is kind of a gap in Canadian library technology sort of publication or PD support, whatever you want to call it. So I'm not throwing shade on Code for Lib by any means. Like I, I, We have a Code for Lib chapter here in Edmonton, but the journal is so popular that, yeah, I... Was it was rebel? Rebel. That's right. <laughs> so naturally, being a librarian, you think, well, we're gonna start our own thing. Jeez, we don't need. Is that natural? Is that what librarians would think? Apparently, we're good Maybe. at reinventing <laughs> the wheel and starting a thing. But we discussed yeah. how much work it is to. Yeah, I feel like we gave it a good go. Like we talked with people who knew about journals. We did we, our research. We did some research. We talked about having a, what what was it like a purpose mission statement that's right yeah objective i don't know procedures uh yeah and, and having maybe a more of a web-based uh lightly edit or edited or curated but not necessarily peer-reviewed right work so it's not like we didn't think about that and couldn't do something like that in the future still if we wanted to but um i don't know for me i kind of decided that i miss a lot when I read read more formal articles and there's always questions that I have that I want to ask of the authors mm-hmm. and I feel like you know there's restrictions obviously by the nature of it being writing and a certain word count and the style and pressure of being in a publication and being peer-reviewed and um, I just kind of felt like there were other stories that I wanted to hear about technology and libraries and I wanted to chat with people a little bit more about it and you may have heard of a new technology called a podcast that all the kids are talking about (laughs) so maybe maybe it would be a good thing to try yeah so here we are here we are um so we we do plan on having guests and we have some ideas in mind it certainly seems to be the pattern and the trend but it's not absolutely necessary but you're right i think we're both I know I have had Pinterest boards called women I would like to have cake with (laughs) and men I would invite for coffee, meaning that, I don't know, I've imagined myself going on little like coffee dates with authors or imaginary people and having, yeah, having a chance to really ask them, like, why did you put that lyric in your song? What what, what caused it, right? So same with ideas. (laughs) 
And I, I think one of the things too is like we both have, um, we both have tech background in libraries, and I know I have written those articles before mm. uh, about like starting up this project or what was it like to work on this initiative, and I'm not always convinced that that's what people want to be hearing about and want to be learning about. So, from my perspective, there's a little bit more of like a practical. How do we go about doing X, Y, and Z? Mm. And I mean, in my case, thinking about something like a makerspace specifically, you know, doing presentations on the topic and, and writing those kinds of articles, like, they're not always the questions that people have and that they want to know the answers to. So I think hopefully this this medium, words that Lydia doesn't like necessarily, this form of media <laughs> um, will be a way to work with that. Hmm. Good point, yeah. So we're, we're trying it. Yeah. Uh, also, I was only ever able to log into Pinterest once. <laughs> and then I think I forgot my password or something. I don't know. So this may also give you some insight into what my relationship is with tech versus what Lydia's relationship <laughs> is with tech as we are recording in front of her very fancy Mac with a very nice microphone <laughs> that she has kindly set up. <laughs> No, it's interesting. I hope in the future, yeah, to get into, so we, we have some um, points and ideas for, you know, potential topics, but yeah, the role of tools and specific platforms and technologies in sort of professional life and personal life, right? So I think, you know, recently I, I was at our library school here in Edmonton where we went to school, uh, we graduated from, and, you know, often students say, well, I, I think I'm interested in tech or this digital services because certainly cool projects are happening there. And so we're, we're pleased to have that attention. But, mm -hmm. but often uh, there's so much anxiety from uh, you know, young professionals who, who think you absolutely need to code and you need to know every library and every mm -hmm. setting of every tool. And of course, that's not the case. And frankly, how can you know every yeah. tool? Or or even use it in your daily life. So yeah, it's dispelling those assumptions. Well, and I think yeah, we were talking about that a little bit earlier. Like, um, I think that's a really important theme, kind of in libraries and technology right now. And you know, you're warned now. We will be talking about gender issues <laughs> as we move through this. But like the idea that you have to be some some expert, mm. and I mean I. I it's a complicated thing. I have mixed feelings about mm -hmm. it because on the one hand, you know, there is a need for expertise in software development, for example. Mm -hmm. There is a need for expertise in programming languages. The possibilities for libraries grow that much more when we have people with those skills who are doing interesting work within sort of more traditional library services, but also with new initiatives. But at the same time, that brings a certain qualification it brings a certain type of person potentially it brings um you know people who are not necessarily thinking about other aspects of the library or um or about what it means to implement those successfully and why we might be doing it and seeing a different angle so um yeah I'm interested in thinking about what those other angles are and talking about that idea of what does it take to to do tech in libraries and who gets to do it and who doesn't. Absolutely. What right. does it mean? That's right. 
Not no. today. Maybe another time. Maybe today. But today we did have some <laughs> some um, topical discussions from the headlines. Ripped from the headlines. <laughs> so Carla actually introduced me to American Libraries Association um, trends or a future of libraries report that comes out like a weekly digest. And it's been very helpful to keep on top of sort of related fields, not necessarily just purely library projects, but things like sociology, urban technology, uh, you know, economics and politics. So those are really broad, but have some information or maybe technology component, usually a tool. And so we will probably refer to uh, that digest if we're, <laughs> if we're stuck or if it's inspiring. That electronic digest. It's very handy. <laughs> and so today we had a couple of points that I think struck some interest. Um, so one article recently talked about using VR, yeah. so virtual reality headsets, um, in various settings, so specifically in prison. So tell mm. us a little bit about well, this Well, yes, I was excited by this headline because recently um, some colleagues had been talking about what we could do to, re to help with the reintegration of, I guess, former prisoners mm. at that point mm. um, into society. So libraries do a lot, or at least libraries that I've had experience with do, do some things in this area. We might be offering... Um, like computer basis classes, we might be going right. to more like halfway house That's places right. to be offering, you know, digital literacy courses or uh, help with resumes and job search. So some kind of tech tools involved there. But this one I thought was so interesting because um, basically what they're doing is taking VR and making sort of life skills programs or simulations that the prisoners can go through before they're released from prison so that they, I mean, for people who may have been out of prison or out of society and in prison for a long time, um, may be totally detached from certain ways of doing things or certain life skills like laundry or banking or yeah. cleaning a house or driving. I don't know if that's actually one of the, the options, but... Um, so, you know, suddenly being tossed into um, an environment where those are the expectations of a person where they haven't had any experience doing it would be, you know, very jarring, disastrous in some cases, contribute a lot more to the stress. So what they're doing is using VR headsets um, and programs that have been specifically designed for the prisons in order to provide simulations almost like in real-life training, so like hmm. real-world training. Hmm. So you're at the laundromat in the VR simulation, and you are, you know, learning how to put in your darks and your lights and what setting it should go on and putting your money in and then folding the clothing afterwards. So just such a... It's so ingenious. Like, this idea that it is... I mean, we, we see it in trades, for example. Right. So training, and you were talking about this a little bit, like... Um, as a way to learn how to work on machinery, mm -hmm. for example. So VR showing you the correct way to, um, I don't know, anything about machinery. Like, well, turn the re wheel. Sure, reassemble an engine part. Right. Like, insert thing that mm -hmm. sounds hand like machiney right now. <laughs> so, you know, you have your vision of what it's supposed to look like and a little training video. Um, and then 
you're practicing doing it with the VR and then you can go and do it. And that maybe also is an application for AR mm-hmm. where, you know, then you can overlay That's right. onto the, the, the real thing, yeah. whatever machine it is that you're using. I need to learn machine terms. <laughs> um, and so kind of that idea that it's something that can be used in a workforce or a workplace, right. but this would be something that is just about reintegration into life. life. Yeah. That's the amazing Practical thing. skills. Yep. So, um, do you want to, can you move the thing? I'll just say what the headline was. Sure. This one says, uh, New York startup to use VR tech to rehabilitate prisoners. So I just love this idea that it's going, going that step further, like really thinking about what, what this technology could be used for and, and having it be something that would be so beneficial to society. And then think about how libraries could be working in that capacity. So, you know, are we an organization that could, um, you know, partner with a post-secondary institution who's developing those kinds of technologies? We have good connections into some of the prisons and, or, I mean, we have connections into some of the prisons, whether or not they're great or not good. But certainly it's within our interest and our mandate to want to help those members of society. And we're doing that now. Mm -hmm. So what would be the benefit of trying this new initiative and this new piece of technology? What's the tipping point that we're going to reach where that becomes something that's more possible? And how, at this point, would a library go about getting something like that into our spaces? Like, you know, this is a a startup company that's doing it. Um, Would there be a reason for a library to be mediating or, you know, working alongside a company to do it or... Would it be purely a research oh, know, idea? Like, how would we get it in? And so to provide almost like ethical or kind of usability advice in terms mm-hmm. of what to consider for design? Yeah, I think that's one angle. And another one would be sort of like there are still people under those VR headsets. Yeah. And like um, it, it could be part of a larger program that the library is working on in order to like to help with the reintegration of those people, people that they may have seen while, while they were incarcerated. So through a book club or, right. um, or other skills programs. Um, I know there's a coding program that runs out of the U S that just sounds amazing. That's actually like teaching coding skills to prisoners while they're in prison. Right. Okay. Um, so opportunities like that, then kind of helping to continue outside and working on, various life skills things so maybe the library is there as the medium who helps facilitate i'm just using buzzwords now medium sure. facilitate sure. Sure. sure sure <laughs> well like the people side of things absolutely you know and that's the role that potentially is a huge risk for a startup or even a large corporation to forget more nuanced approaches, the ultimate purpose of an application, not to make assumptions. Uh, This is why we're professionals, why we advocate, right? Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to say that librarians are the only ethical people around because certainly that, well, isn't probably the case, but it's also something I think that puts too much kind of on our profession. But, But looking at work we've done in the past and relationships we have with community and our goals for sometimes specifically helping reintegration such an interesting opportunity yeah 
it's interesting because so so many applications for these types of technologies for headsets and kind of immersive experience have been very specialized and if anything probably outside of regular life you know as escapism or mm. to simulate an experience that you're unlikely to have regularly which is where the VR training for uh, specialized skill or behavior comes in but what's fascinating here it's the other way around it's um, simulating real life and how important that is I know recently you know you mentioned re well rehab in, in, in many different ways um, reintegration and like rehab from a physical perspective we um, had a lovely meeting with Glen Rose Hospital recently mm -hmm. and, and just to think about the needs of uh, patients who may have had an injury or like a long care stay um, to learn how to drive and do like basic movements so there's obviously many layers right so whether it's informational need or like a physical mm -hmm. need to yeah. do a task uh, and driving is such a big component yeah. of contemporary life but apparently libraries get lots of requests for driving support so we know like you know driving handbooks mm -hmm. are a big request but simulation for an actual wheel and the experience of driving for low cost low risk mm -hmm. in a safe environment there's not many places to do that, but now we do have that technology. So, yeah, yeah it's it's kind of like yeah, simulating real life, but like additionally, or maybe with with extra features in in that yeah, a, a safe sort of low barrier environment. Uh, I think that's what we're mm -hmm. really big on yeah. to advocate for that. Well, then thinking about too how like the impact of virtual reality, augmented reality in training and education mm -hmm. and um eventually is that going to be something that we are seeing all over the place mm -hmm. and how will libraries provide that opportunity to people who may not be connected to you know an institution of higher learning or some other institution <laughs> that provides something like that good point is it a collections question how do we provide vr headsets and vr software to people who might want to try this we have sad lamps we just plug those in Good point. Yeah, where is the collection versus technology? I think we're definitely seeing this maybe arbitrary division merge, uh, definitely blurring of the lines between you know, what kind of service is it. Certainly the user doesn't care, right? They just want the thing. They want help to achieve their task and go on about their life. So, But you're right. We're, Certainly it's software, it's applications uh, using a particular tool, but what, yeah, what if you have a, like a suite of them or a catalog of, of these created things? Uh, so you had a headline. Yeah, and it kind of ties to this, right? So we mentioned very, you know, one specific use of virtual reality, but on the other side, um, augmented reality is also in the news a lot. And so recently I have been sort of scrolling through the Canadian Media Fund Trends blog, which publishes... Um, reports and kind of news from primarily Canadian media, so really film, um, but with with I've never heard of this thing before. <laughs> yeah. I don't think many people have, but uh, you know, an industry for you know documentary and I guess yeah, there's a lot of children's TV as well. So kind of like a yeah, an industry blog um, that had an interesting article that talked about the the growth and I suppose yeah exponential growth in both virtual and augmented reality and how traditionally or at least in the past few years virtual reality was 
marketed to the general public primarily for gaming, mm -hmm. so much more of a consumer technology, whereas AR struggled to find that um, general public sort of application. And what we're seeing um, is kind of the reversal of VR going with much more specialized um, industry applications in medicine, uh, education, uh, you know, sports, um, like much more precise for a purpose. And AR, we're seeing a lot more kind of flattening of access and development uh, in this particular technology. And so, uh, we, and even with um, software developers kind of giving away the, you know, software development mm. kits, like all the, all the tools to just build it into your phone. So the right. fact that we're trying to do AR at the operating system level of the phone rather than having additional apps that you need to download. Mm -hmm. QR code nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> Make it a much more, I guess, accessible. So the reason is... Um, it's trying to be pitched much more generalized because everyone has a mobile device and now we can layer additional info over real life. So this particular article um, struck me because it was talking about applications of augmented reality for play for children. So we know that play is hugely important for learning, development, cognition, everything for kids. That's like not news, <laughs> shouldn't be coming from us. But we know, for example, certainly in libraries, um, we are seeing some degree of anxiety from parents about the pervasiveness of screens mm -hmm. and just general digital technologies everywhere, right? In children's lives. And that's fair. That's, there's legit screens everywhere commercial spaces are saturated with them so how do we use that technology wisely and so this article essentially argued that the new generation of toys for children will have an augmented reality component so it's integrating these layered experiences relying on screens to some degree with tactile inputs and so whether it's um, enriching pop-up books or, you know, even now with magazines or toys that have additional kind of unlockable levels. But I'm certainly interested in watching the space, I guess, as they say, and also seeing research on it because we know that tactile and physical connection to objects has a relationship to memory and, and sort of retaining knowledge. So that would make sense to very intentionally add additional information to tactile objects for kids. So I think if you're going to go digital, if you're going to use new tech, piggyback it on things that work, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a reason why wooden blocks work mm -hmm. and, and kids love touching things they learn through play and, and actually uh, having that tangible connection. So I, I haven't seen a lot of like really good or cheap um, and really meaningful examples yet, but I'm sure we will. Mm -hmm. And certainly for libraries, I think that's one way that we can maybe assure parents and also not overload and not overstimulate already kind of busy brains with screens and information for the sake of information, but making it truly memorable and, and meaningful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm always a little bit, wary of like the additional content that mm -hmm. seems to exist right now because in my mind that just means they're going to send me to like the my little pony Store, app that yeah. is going to buy more levels of things so it's very interesting to think about how the toy industry yeah. big toy is you know 
hoping to make this more of a learning application and how to do that well. Yeah. How to do that in a way that's not just going to generate more coins in their... Good point. In their coffers. <laughs> that's not a very digital thing to say. More credits in their app store something something. But um, do they have examples of like a, a, an actual toy? Because I, I'm also thinking about it in terms of text, right? So mm-hmm. as a way of augmenting a text, right? you know... Um, something like the Morris Lessmore app that's a couple of years old now, but they have the book and then they have the, the app that mm. goes with it and kind mm. of animates it a little bit and then the film. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to think about how that works in a not like text-based environment, right. but in a like, like with blocks or like with an actual toy. Mm. To do that puzzles. Kind of yeah. Yeah, so part of it is design, and and I would love to have more deeper discussions on like that user center, the 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 true intention of thinking through what's the ultimate experience you're aiming for. Yeah. Because children also are savvy to know that being sent to My Little Pony show is not actually what they're here for, but it's that reward of solving something and figuring things out on your own. Uh I would also, so I don't remember the exact kind of details, but. you would be able to solve the puzzle or unlock the toy mm-hmm. using some of the clues that are digital or maybe connect to other ones or it could be like gamification of levels. But the two would meet each other, mm-hmm. the physical, the like the tangible and, yeah. and the virtual. Um, and yeah, I would I would think that sort of levels and, and kind of gamifying of that yeah. would uh, both sustain interest and actually teach those very skills probably meant in, in the design of the experience. What's the one we have? We have it at the library, and we actually bought one for our niece <laughs> to use. It works with the iPad, and it's like the little shapes. Osmo. Okay. Have yeah, you played with that one yet? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it has great little games on it for all different levels, and it's weird because it's weirdly absorbing in the same mm-hmm. way that just being on an iPad can be, but it's like math games or coding games or, um, right. you know, spelling games or that kind of thing. Um, and working with these little blocks. Right. And the camera yeah. on the Osmo to, uh, to, to put them up on the screen somewhere. That's right. So I feel better about it. <laughs> yeah. And I think that there's only so many, I would think there's only so many variations you can mm-hmm. go, but... Um, Certain, are there? There's so many possibilities, I feel. Yeah, so one recent um, that was emailed to me, oh, jeez. There were, I forget what they're called, but they're tiny little digital screens. Apparently, the company didn't have the same success um, commercially as they hoped, mm-hmm. but they were tiny cubelets. Mm-hmm. Lydia, the good librarian, is quickly searching her email in order to were, find the name. <laughs> they were called st- Siftio Cubes. So Siftio? Yeah, so that's another thing. Like, when I received this um, sort of message sharing these projects, yeah. I, I thought of these toys as well, this combination of both physical and virtual. So they're tiny little cubelets Ooh. with screens, with LED screens that put together would... Um, kind of add up the experience and so here we're looking at essentially tiles right Mm -hmm. with little puzzles going across the screens so for whatever reason designing them on a time like a 
small, like tiny little iPads that are little squares mm -hmm. that combined unlock more, right? So no individual right. kids can achieve. It's not a full iPad, yeah. but it's like a, an eighth, a co you know, mm. a tiny corner. Um, so the company actually didn't do very well in 2011. So this is a few years ago mm -hmm. now. But it's funny. So maybe they were a little ahead of the curve. And maybe now we're seeing... Um, maybe some degree of boredom with, with iPads, right? Like we've kind of solved the mm -hmm. whole tablet issue. There's only so much you can do. But I also wonder the size, the relative non sort of scariness of it, right? And, mm -hmm. and the ability to fit in a little hand yeah. and be shareable and social. So I think in libraries, we're always thinking of solutions that are not just individual experience, but communal or have mm -hmm. some kind of social interaction. And so I would love to see more revival of this. And of course, you know, like all the software and kind of the actual engineering and the making of these little cubelets mm -hmm. uh, would also be open source. Um, uh, to me, that's another example of, like, it's not so much augmented reality, it's still digital technology because it is on LED screens. But, but, it, but it requires like a... Uh, an physical. actual person of physical manipulation yes. of that. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. It's just an example, yeah. yeah. I really li I like that. And I'm thinking a little bit about um, the UX. Right, the right. Manager, okay. Like the yeah. user experience. Mm -hmm. and I mean, what is the need to think about the user's experience as mm -hmm. a whole? And if the goal of the library is to be promoting, you know, um, stronger communities, stronger relationships... How do we think about technology and integrating those technologies in a way that's not just for one user? That's right. How to think about it for all users and those shared collective experiences? To me, I would hope just even figuring something out like this or augmenting and having another person look over your shoulder mm. or kind of share that discovery together is a lot more fun and interesting um, than doing it on your own and, and frankly figuring out it's okay so I solved this puzzle or I kind of had the you know I found the dragon here but did did someone else mm -hmm. um, and having like yeah clubs or whatever opportunities to um, see how others have approached the very same technology uh, some build that into their design and some do not mm -hmm. so cool yeah that, that's just an example oh, so they're so. adorable <laughs> how do you what is it called again Siftio. Siftio. S-I-F-T-E-O. Siftio cubes. That's right. The New York Times headline is tiny screens bearing tiny delights. They basically have <laughs> it. Good. Okay, well, those were our headlines. Um, I feel like that is our show for yeah, today. Yeah, I think this is a good amount. <laughs> I'm feeling thirsty and like I need to pet the cat that's <laughs> So, as we mentioned, we would like to have some guests from the community, yeah. people who are interested in things like text-based gaming and, you know, user experience and user-centered design, architecture design more broadly, uh, collections, sure. IT. I feel also like, you know, how you make things happen in practice in the mm. library, what has worked well, like nitty-gritty things. I want to hear nitty-gritty things about people who have implemented X thing and what was good and what was bad and, you know, what what would you do differently next time? Yeah. Yeah. So we will create a little web page to uh, share some of these links and 
those like questions. Said, once we know what the URL is, we will share that. <laughs> but we don't right. yet, because that's a thing we'll do in the future. <laughs> but we will have that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, please look for more of these discussions. Yes. Um, highly engaging and thoughtful. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, we'll be happy to hear what you think. So yeah, please look for more. Yeah. Bye. All right. Thank you. Bye.